This morning we're going to consider the essential doctrine of rewards. And it's important for us to understand what the Bible teaches about rewards, what is and what is not. And when you understand the doctrine as it's presented in Paul's Gospels, it'll clear up a lot of confusion and it'll protect you from a lot of error that the, the... there is among so many of God's people. There's so much confusion about what is and isn't a reward. But the Bible's quite clear. And so we'll begin to consider this. I don't know how far we'll get this morning. But when we read the the word reward or rewards in the New Testament, more often than not, it is a Greek word that has the meaning of payment for services rendered or an award for performance, or compensation for sacrifice. And that's pretty much what we understand the word to mean in English, but that's also the meaning in Greek. So very specifically, payment for services that are rendered, an award for performance, or compensation for sacrifice. So how does that apply to the Christian life? What is rewarded in our life? Because we know from Paul's teaching that salvation, eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, is not a reward. It is a free gift, absolutely by God's grace. It's unmerited. And so that contradicts. A free gift is the opposite of a reward. And we need to understand that. And, and sadly, many believers don't. And therefore, they live their entire Christian life confused And they fall short of the full blessing that God intends for his children. Let's begin by reading in Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. To know that once you accept Jesus as your Savior, that simple act of faith, you receive the free gift that's offered you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the Bible teaches us. And so from that moment on, when you accept Jesus, yes, I'm a sinner Jesus is the Savior. He died in my place. He paid the penalty of my sin in full once and for all. When you make that that statement of faith, you are now complete in him. You have and you are everything you need to be to have eternal life. This is what Colossians 2, 9, and 10 tells us. For in him, in Christ, how do we get in Christ? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, because the Bible is very clear that salvation is a free gift, that it's not a reward, many feel that it's not proper for us to even talk about rewards because we talk about the grace of God. Saved by grace, apart from works. Absolutely. And therefore, many believe that because God loves all of his children, which is a true statement, and he loves them all equally, which is also a true statement, therefore, they believe that God will give all his children the same inheritance in in eternity. But the Bible doesn't teach that. God, because he loves all of his children equally, he gives them all the same opportunity That's the equality of God's love. He gives all of his children everything they need to have his best in this life and in eternity. 
He gives us the ability to serve him, to render a service. And then he promises to reward that service. So you see that even the reward is by his grace. But as his children, it does demand response to his love. We need to learn to love the one who loved us. God acknowledges that there are differences between his children all through the word of God. There are those that are described as carnal and babes. Then there are those that are described as spiritual and as full-grown sons. So God himself is making his distinction. He looks at his children and he sees there's differences. We need to acknowledge those differences and also understand the consequences of failing to appropriate to take advantage of everything his love and grace has provided for us. When we fall short of our service of love to our Father, then there, there are consequences for that in this life, but also in eternity. Let's go to Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, where we have this perfect balance of what the grace of God is. Here we see that there is that free salvation offered to whosoever will, It's a gift. It's not a reward. It's not a compensation. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to keep it. It's a gift. You either receive it or you reject it. We're talking about eternal life. But in this same glorious passage of the grace of God that saves us, notice what it says. For by grace, unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not a reward, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So there's no service involved that that demands compensation for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for not by, but for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So those that say that we shouldn't talk about works because we're saved by grace, they don't understand what grace is all about. We are saved apart from works, but now that we're saved, we are now equipped and receive everything we need to do the work of God. And God says that he'll provide everything we need to be faithful servants. And then on top of that, he says, And if you render your will to my will and do my will, I'll reward you on top of it. I'll compensate your sacrifices because there will be sacrifices involved. But his grace says the sufferings of this present time, not worthy to be compared with the glory, the reward. And so this this is the balance of the grace of God. It saves you apart from your works. But now that you're saved, now that you're his child, now that you have eternal life, the very nature of God, now you can do the will of God. Before you couldn't. Oh, you could try to be a good person. You could be a religious person. You could be a good moral person. But you couldn't do the will of God. Now that you're born again, you have everything you need to do the will of God. Every believer has a life to live. A walk to walk. The Bible uses different analogies. A course to run. We have a life to live. How we live it matters. Now we receive this eternal life free. But now what are we going to do with it? Why did God save us? 
just to save us from hell? Well, if that was all, I'd be grateful. He's worthy of our praise, if for nothing else, if I just knew I was eternally safe in the arms of Jesus. But he saved me for much more than that. He wants me to be a part of what he's doing for eternity. The creator of heaven and earth. When you begin to just think about who God is, it just overwhelms you. This universe with all of its order and, and, and how all of this is, this whole universe with this little blue marble that we call earth, just to sustain my life. I am God's creature, but I'm his special creature. I'm a new creature. He has a plan and purpose for me. I want to serve him out of love for all that he has given me by his grace. Everyone has the same provision. We can all have God's best, but clearly not all of God's children receive his best. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, when we talk about rewards and compensation and award for performance, we need to understand that usually when we talk about those kinds of rewards and natural things, uh, competition is involved, isn't it? Well, I want to win the trophy. So that means I got to beat everybody else or I want to make the, the most money. And so that means I need to be a better employee than everyone else. So usually there's a lot of competition involved with rewards and natural things. But in the spiritual realm, none of that pertains. In fact, all of that is contrary to winning the prize. Our motivation is not pride. I want to be better than everybody else. Sadly, some of God's people fall into that. Well, I'm better than you. I'm more spiritual than you. Than you. I know more than you. They think that that's going to be rewarded. But that, no, that's pride. That's of the flesh. It's not a competition. I'm not trying to win so you can lose. In fact, if I want to win, I want to help you do everything you can to win as well. That's completely opposite than the flesh, isn't it? Some of us are quite competitive, or at least we used to be when we had energy to be competitive. In the natural things, sports and and scholastics, you know, I'm going to be the best. But in the spiritual realm, if we really want to be the best, we're going to look to the side and help the one next to us also obtain God's best, or at least give them the opportunity to do so. The only motivation that will be worthy of God's reward is love. That's it. You do what you do because you love Jesus. You make the sacrifices you make to proclaim the word of God and to help others and to encourage others in their spiritual walk. You make those sacrifices that God said he'll compensate, not because you know he's going to compensate, but because you love him. He loved me. What motivated, what motivated Jesus to die on the cross? The ultimate sacrifice? He loved me. He wanted my best. He provided what I needed at great sacrifice to himself. Because he loved me, he did what he did. And the Bible tells me that I am his reward. I can't imagine that. And if he can do what he did in order to gain me, how can I not do whatever he asked me to do in his word and by the leading of the Holy Spirit? Because I love him. That's the motivation. Second Timothy 2.15. Be diligent. That means to put forth prompt, earnest, effort. So here we're talking about works. 
but we're talking about those that are saved apart from works. But be diligent. The Christian life is not a lazy life. It's a life of purpose. It's a life of principle. It takes effort, prompt, earnest effort, not half-heartedly, to do what? To present, yield yourself, approved to God. Now, wait a minute. I thought I was already approved. It has to do, this word has to do with passing the test of whether it's sound enough to use or not. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word approved there, it was a word that the Greeks used when, for example, when they were testing metal and they'd make their plows or their swords, they would put it through the fire and they would test it to make sure it was the right strength, had all the right alloys and whatever it's necessary. I'm not an expert in that area, but to make sure that when you're going to use it, it's not going to break. They tested it. And if it passed the test, this is the word they use. It's approved. We are to study the word of God, to rightly divide the truth, let it govern our lives that we might be approved, that we might pass the test to be found worthy to do his will successfully. God uses many tests. He puts us through many tests, trials, many of them very unpleasant. I'm sure the metal being stuck in the fire, if it had feelings, uh, they would say this is a little much. Sometimes God puts us through the fire to forge us, to test us. Are we really going to stand up and do what he wants us to do? 1 Corinthians 9.27, some of God's people, some Christians are approved and some are not. Some pass the test and some do not. Those that pass the test will receive reward. 1 Corinthians 9.27, the apostle Paul, the apostle of this church age, says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. It's a disciplined life, this Christian life. Lest when I have preached to others... <laughs> I myself should become disqualified. This is the same word in the Greek. It's different words in English, disqualified or approved. Now, the disqualified here is the same word with a a prefix meaning not. In other words, not approved, that that he should become not approved. The Apostle Paul, was he talking about losing his salvation? No, we know that that's not what Paul teaches, but not approved to receive the reward. He didn't pass the test. That was his concern. I discipline my body. I don't just live however my flesh tells me I should live. I don't just say whatever I want to say or do whatever I want to do. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit to live according to the word of God, to do the will of God. The big question is approved or disapproved for what? It's not salvation, but it is concerning receiving a reward. We need to understand there's a difference between being accepted by the Lord and acceptable to the Lord. All Christians are accepted in the beloved by God. They are his. He receives them. But not all Christians are acceptable to God. I'll give you a little example. Some of you mothers may be able to relate to this. A little boy who gets all dressed up for Sunday 
Sunday school, Sunday morning service, getting ready. But before they come to church, the little boy in his nice little suit goes out and plays in the mud. He comes back in the house. Now, is his mother going to accept him as her son? Yeah. Will he be acceptable to go to church? No. So the mother will accept the child, discipline the child, clean them up, and make them acceptable for church. That's what your Heavenly Father will do for you, knowing that you are eternally His child. But that doesn't mean that we always are, our conduct is always acceptable to our Father. In fact, He tells us things that are not, that's not acceptable for my child. He tells us that in His Word. So this is the difference, salvation, but rewards. <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. After you're saved, you are now fit to serve the Lord, to be useful to him. God says he will enable you to do his will. He will equip you to do his will. And this, this provision is for every child of God. He doesn't pick and choose and say, well, I want this one to be more successful than this one. No, he wants us all to have his best. This is why it's not a competition. But not all of his children lay hold of these truths. 1 Corinthians 3, 15, uh, beginning at verse 5, we'll read through 15. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? Apollos was another teacher in Paul's day, mightily used of God as well. But who are they? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. In other words, many of the Corinthians were saved under the ministry, of Paul and some under Apollos. And so these were the instruments that God used to bring them the gospel. And sometimes when people receive that wonderful gift through those human instruments, they begin to to venerate those vessels. Oh, they're the source of God's grace. No, they're just clay vessels. And this is what Paul's trying to say. You don't magnify and glorify the vessel But then we're going to see that Paul says, but the vessels have a responsibility and are accountable, and they will receive a reward if they are faithful. So he goes on to say that. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God's the one who does the spiritual work in his people, not not the human vessels that he uses, but it's God's work. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Give him the praise. Give God the praise. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, part of, the, part of the same team. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So you see the, this doctrine of rewards is very individual. There are different rewards for different degrees of faithfulness and service. Each one according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. We need to remember that. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. Notice grace and works going together there. It was by God's grace that Paul was able to build, to lay the foundation of those sound doctrines that we're learning. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, which represents the sound doctrine that God revealed to the Apostle Paul for this church age, if you use that material, that's good. Otherwise, if you use wood, hay, and straw, corruptible material, flammable material, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Talking about Christians here. And the the subject is not salvation. It's not whether you're going to heaven or not, but what? If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Not salvation. He already has that. But a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. The loss of what? The loss of reward. But he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. So even the unfaithful child of God, his eternal life is secure because it's a free gift. But saints, we have the privilege to be a co-worker together with the eternal God, to do his work of grace in this life by living a life that's transformed by his grace. The grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness. The grace of God that equips us to do the will of God, to, to tell others about Jesus and to serve others and to give others the opportunity to, to know Jesus and to know the deeper truths. That's the work. Verse 8 said, each according to his own labor, his own reward. God will be faithful to give reward to faithful service. This is why it matters how you live. As you read the scripture, you quickly understand there are different degrees of reward. And before I go any farther, because I really don't want to, I mean, I could give you some quick little phrases here, but I want us to to consider this in depth. So I'm not going to go any further this morning. We'll look at different degrees of rewards, different degrees of faith, what some of the specific rewards that are offered that we will look at in this study. And ultimately, in our final lesson, we'll look at that, that full and complete reward, the best that God has to offer to all of his children, and it's offered to all of his children, and that is to sit with Christ to rule and reign with him. That is the ultimate reward that is offered for faithful service that is motivated by love for Jesus Christ. So we'll consider more of these truths as we continue. Right now, let's stand as we have a song in closing.